0: These are some of the dearest people in the world, some heroes of mine, just because of what they've done and, and just the way they've served God. And so, uh, Maureen, you're over yeah. here. Where's Emily? Where are you, mouse?
1: She did not want to sit with her parents. Okay, That's all I I, okay.
0: Yeah, she's, she's, grow, she's growing up. Would you, would you two stand for just a moment, please? And Todd, let's just welcome them back to Destiny today. Thank you. We love you guys so much, and uh, they had Todd's, uh, you know, they, they left us, but they've been part of our church in mm. such an incredible way uh, all these years, and and they really serve us in a very specific way, and that is they host us uh, for trips that we take to Guatemala just in serving God and growing in discipleship. and. Um, So why don't you talk about, you've had a little change in what you're doing, and tell us a little bit about that, and then uh, I want to talk about the mission trip we have coming up. Okay,
1: okay. Well, first of all, let me just see a show of hands of folks who have been to Guatemala on one of these mission trips. Okay. When you were there, most likely you were a part of Iglesia del Camino, a bilingual church in Antigua, and just this past January, we went on staff with that church. We're still missionaries, we still raise our funds, but we get to be a part of this church that, that we really believe, I mean the, the local church is what's going to do it. The local church is what's going to be there long after mission organizations or other organizations have come and gone. And so it's been really exciting for us to make a transition where we get to serve the local church and there's a uh, senior pastor there, his name is Giovanni, and you'll recognize Giovanni because he was once Mr. Guatemala back in 1996, so he's a large man. Um, <laughs> but he is the senior pastor, and I get to basically walk alongside him and be an encourager to him and, and help us kind of focus where we're going as a now, church down we there. Have, we have so.
0: Giovanni's here.
1: It's Italian. Oh, yes, right, yeah. And I've eaten that as well, and it's also impacted my body. Yes, <laughs> right, so okay. yeah,
0: I'm with you. Okay, um, we have a missions trip coming up. Actually, we've had a couple recently, and uh, because of timing, people not being able to make this commitment, uh, we 've had to forego these trips for a little while, but I want you to know something. I think that that going on a trip like this is number one life changing and I, number two, I think it 's just a great way to continue your growth your spiritual growth and discipleship and so we have another trip coming, and God willing it 's going to happen August third through ten. 2019 so it's just a little less than a year away from now I think that's about right yeah and um, but it's uh,
1: not too early to start planning start thinking about whether you can participate yeah normally
0: sure. we only so. announce it a month ahead of time so this is seriously good okay <laughs> If you want to go, let us know now, and uh, we'll fill this up, and uh, we could actually probably take on a couple projects if we're sure. enough people. So, um, well,
1: and very often students. people don't go because they say, well, I, I, I need that personal invitation. Right now, Greg and I are giving you a personal, personal invitation. invitation. yeah. So we want you to be a part hey, of that trip. Hey, we did pretty good so on that. That was even, good.
0: It wasn't even planned. Hey, I better get off of here. Um, I don't have anything else to say.
1: Okay. So, Thank you, my friend.
0: Don't screw it up.
1: Thank you. <laughs> Man, that's, all, that's exactly what you want to hear. But it does feel like home, though, so that's a good thing. Thank you guys for welcoming us back. We come back basically every September to spend time with you, and, and we're, we feel like we're walking back into home. Um, and the great thing about it is we walk in and we see familiar faces, but then we see a lot of faces that we don't know. And that's really exciting for us because we know that the church is growing. We know the church is having an impact. And uh, we're just glad to be a part of it this morning. Um, and I've got to tell you, I, you should be thrilled that your church is taking on a series like this. That Destiny is taking on some of these really difficult topics. I've, I've watched the the uh, the first two messages in this series, and talking about caring for orphans, talking about racial reconciliation. This, these are difficult topics. These are not things that always show up on a Sunday morning. And so it's exciting that the church is doing this. In fact. I'm so excited about this that I'm, I'm pretty jazzed about what I'm going to say. I can't wait to hear what I say this morning because of what the series is, the way the series has set us up. Now you do need to know this, though. It's not just about helping the poor this morning. The title is really specific. It's about empowering the poor. Okay, we're going to go a little bit deeper this morning than simply, hey, here are some great ideas to help people in your community or people in the country that you're going to visit in terms of of just help. We're talking about empowering the poor. And we wanna go a little bit deeper into the root of poverty. In fact, what I'd like to share with you right now is that uh, poverty looks different in different places. And poverty looks different in Leesburg, Virginia as compared to Guatemala. And I know, because I've lived in both places. In Guatemala, poverty looks like this. Poverty looks like you've got a dirt floor. Poverty looks like the walls of your house are made from corn stalks. Poverty looks like you've got to walk somewhere to get your water. Poverty looks like you're wondering whether or not you can put a meal on your table that night. And that's what poverty looks like in a place like Guatemala. In Leesburg, it might be different. It may be simply someone living paycheck to paycheck and being just one paycheck away from disaster. It may be someone who can't pay the rent and is now trying to figure out, is it I stay in the apartment or I go to the shelter. It's about determining whether we have one meal a day or two meals or three meals and what programs I can get plugged into in order to be able to survive and to be able to be able to serve my family. But the reality is it's real in Guatemala and it's real here. And Jesus tells us that the poor are going to be around us, that this is going to be something that we need to talk about as the body of Christ. We need to talk about... What do we do? How do we empower? How do we take care of those in need? Well, Jesus talks about it in Matthew chapter 25. And the context is this. Jesus is talking about coming back, okay? He's coming back, and when he comes back, he's going to take the sheep and the goats, okay? He will take the sheep, put them on the right, take the goats, put them on the left. It's separating, okay? And here's what he's going to say to the righteous. He says this, "'Come, you are blessed by my Father.'" Take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me in. I needed clothes, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you looked after me. I was in prison, and you came to visit me. This is what caring for for the poor looks like in Jesus' eyes. But it's interesting because the righteous go, well, hold on a second. I don't recall doing any of those things. I wasn't part of a prison ministry. I wasn't ministering to the homeless. What did, they, they literally say, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you? Lord, when did we see you thirsty and give you something to drink? Or when did we see you as a stranger and invite you in or needing clothes and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison or go to visit you? They were aware that they were actually even part of, of this process. And then Jesus says this. It says, the king will reply, truly I tell you, Whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers or sisters, you did for me. Jesus is setting up this connection between us caring for the poor, caring for those who are in need, and our spiritual lives. That when we have an opportunity to serve someone, we're actually serving Jesus. When we have an opportunity to give somebody something, we have an opportunity to give to Jesus. When we show compassion, we're showing compassion towards God our Father, that there's this connection there. In fact, I would encourage you with this. If you're struggling in your spiritual walk right now, if you've showed up this morning and, and you're just struggling in that area, let me encourage you to serve. Let me encourage you to give, to, to exercise some of that compassion, because according to this passage, there's a connection. There's a connection between our spiritual lives and our connection with Jesus and how we treat other people. In fact, the the writer of Proverbs makes it much clearer for us. Proverbs 19.17 says this, very simple. Whoever is kind to the poor lends to the Lord. So when you show kindness or compassion to those who are in need, you are literally letting Jesus borrow some cash. You are lending to the Lord when you show kindness uh, to the poor. Now, both this passage in Proverbs and the passage in Matthew take a positive angle towards this. So it says, when you serve, this is how it impacts your relationship with Jesus. When you give, this is how it impacts your relationship with the Lord. But then in 1 John, we've got a verse that honestly might sting a little bit because it takes it from the other side. And so I want you to read this with me and and have your heart open to how this might impact you. John says this, If anyone has material possessions... Okay, wait, let me just stop us there for a second. That's all of us, okay? You may be that one paycheck away from from disaster right now, but you've got some material possessions. This is all of us, okay? Missionary family coming from Guatemala, we've got material possessions. Family living here in Leesburg, you've got material possessions. Single person, you've got some material possessions. This is about us, okay? So if anyone who has material possessions and sees his sees a brother or sister in need, but has no pity on them, how can the love of God be in that person? Dear children, let us not love with words or in speech, but in actions and in truth. That we've not only got to be able to see the need, but then if God's working in us, then it should be an overflow from us to how we would support them, how we would encourage them, how would we would play a role in their lives, that we would love with actions and in truth. Let me see if I can illustrate that for you just a little bit. When my family lived here in Virginia, uh, when we would take trips, my wife is not a big fan of fast food. And so we would put a little extra money in our vacation account so that we would eat well when we would take a trip. It usually included Krispy Kreme. And in this particular trip, It also included Outback Steakhouse. So we're not driving through McDonald's. We're at Outback, okay? And after we have been hours on this trip, in the back of the car, we've got a couple of extra Krispy Kreme donuts in a box, which I know is amazing to even consider that there's extra Krispy Kreme donuts, but there were. And then we had this leftover box of Outback Steakhouse food. And I tell you, I'm the guy when, if I walk out of a restaurant with a styrofoam box of, of leftovers, I'm already thinking about lunch the next day. I'm already thinking about having that particular meal. Well, as we pulled away from Outback Steakhouse, we pulled onto the highway, and as we pulled onto the highway, there was a man right there on the exit ramp with a sign. Disheveled, obviously had come on hard times, had a sign saying, hey, we'd love to have some food if you've got it. And so I thought, you know what? I'm gonna be a great example to my kids, and we're gonna pull over, and I'm gonna offer him the Krispy Kreme donuts. I was not ready to offer him the Outback Steakhouse. <laughs> so I said, t- said to my kids, hey, pass the donuts for it. Okay, so we offer it to this man. Hey, here's some Krispy Kreme donuts. How would you like to have those? He said, well, I can't do that. I'm a diabetic. Okay, I'll take the donuts back. And I take the donuts back and send them back and I'm getting ready to put the car into gear. And then one of my kids, and I, honestly, I don't know which one of the compassionate little boogers did this, but they passed up the Outback Steakhouse. And I kind of blocked it. But then they passed it up. And so we offered the Outback Steakhouse to this man on the street. Now the idea is this. John says we should love with actions and in truth. I interpret that to mean we should love with both Krispy Kreme and Outback Steakhouse. That that's, what, that's the level at which God is calling us to. Actions and in truth. But the goal is not simply to to love people, and to serve them, and to give, and to, to help them out of poverty, the goal is to help them take a step into wholeness, to, t- to help them take a step into something more than just a solution. But, so this morning, my question for us is, well, how do we do that? And, and I think the first thing we've got to do together as a family is, we need to lay a, a, a basis, kind of come up with the definition of what poverty is, and then talk about how we can... We can, uh, we can respond to it, how to deal with it. And that's something that, that hopefully we'll be able to stand on. You see, poverty is defined differently here in the United States than it is really in the rest of the world. Surveys have been done asking people in the United States, what exactly is poverty? And it's almost always missing some sort of a material possession. And so poverty for you might be not being able to afford a car, not being able to afford a phone, or not being able to, to, to uh, have something material. And that's what it looks like, perhaps, here in Northern Virginia. Um, when we lived here, we lived in a house, kind of an older neighborhood, back behind Russ Library. And my son was a student at Smarts Mill Middle School, and he would ride the bus home, and uh, when he would get dropped off, his friends who were going to nicer neighborhoods would say, oh, Clay's getting dropped off at the hood. Now that told me two different things. One, these middle schoolers had never been to a hood before. <laughs> but two, that they thought that what he was lacking ascribed to his poverty. So, so, so we lived in poverty because our house was built in the 70s as opposed to built, being built in 2015 or whatever year. And so uh, from a U.S. standpoint, we see poverty as missing something, not being able to have something. But for a person in the majority world, it's about a mindset. It's something that they experience. And I use this term majority world for a reason, because countries like Guatemala used to be called third world countries. Um, But that's a little demeaning. Um, So a first world country was an industrialized country, and a third world country was just trying to catch up. And so it moved along, and it became a developing country. And so countries like Guatemala and a lot of Central America, large portions of Africa, are developing countries. But the reality is, over 80% of the world lives on less than $2 a day. So now the term is majority world countries. And so we get to live here, and if we've got a roof over our head, and we've got a car, and we've got a phone, we are some of the richest people in the world, compared to 80% of the world that may live on less than $2 a day. So in this mindset, for 80% of the people on this planet, it's a mindset poverty is. It's a deep sense of shame. As folks from these countries were were asked to describe what poverty was to them, they used words like worthlessness. They talked about fear, not being able to to get out of what they were in. They talked about humiliation. They talked about hopelessness. And so taking care of somebody or empowering the poor isn't about just offering them Outback Steakhouse. It's about helping them to have hope, to to restore them to, to wholeness. And very often, folks who are in this situation feel trapped in that situation. In fact, I'll tell you a story. There is a family from this very church that has sponsored one of our friends who has graduated from high school to go on to technical school. They sponsored him every bit of the way. They paid for his uniform. They paid for his his, uh, tuition. He went through mechanic school. Okay, this, we thought, was going to be the change for this family. Well, Luis graduated... And when he graduated, he went on to, to, to his job search. And he searched all around the town that we live in. There's all sorts of different opportunities. But the problem was that Luis lives in a village where he's gotta take two buses to get to where work would be. And what they were offering for salary was less than what it would cost him to ride in the bus. And so Luis is in this place where he's got the education and he should have the opportunity, but he's trapped. He's trapped in a in a cycle that he just can't get out of. And that's what poverty looks like for people as as they experience it. It's it's not just missing out on something, it's not just not having access to a vehicle. It's about something missing inside. It's it's about feeling trapped where they are. So we need to not simply meet a need, but we need to help change a mindset. We need to, to offer hope. So we should still give. What we've got to do is give in a way that, that helps, that restores, that, that doesn't hurt. I'm going to give you a couple of examples of, of how we've, we've done that. We've made some mistakes in Guatemala. Heck, we've made some mistakes here in Leesburg. Um, and I want to share a couple of these with you because uh, it, it helps to see how you can have great motivation but end up with some bad results. If you've ever read the book, The Best Christmas Pageant Ever, there's a family there called the Herdmans. And the Herdmans are kids who live in the, in the town and they smoke cigars and they cuss and they never shower. Okay. Well, we had our own version of the Herdmans in our little town of Santiago Zamora, where we do ministry. And it was three little boys who, if they weren't wrestling, they were throwing rocks at each other. I mean, showering was not one of those things that they did. But I tell you, they always had a smile on their face. And Maureen and I and my family, we, we fell in love with these boys. And we realized that we want to walk alongside this family we want to help this family and so we realized that they um, had just gotten into a piece of land not something that they were owning but something that they were going to use Um, and it was just the beginning of rainy season and the boys said hey todd we want to show you our new house i thought amen this is amazing they've got a house and so they brought me up to uh, their little piece of land and we opened up the gate and as we opened up the gate i found this structure made from branches and plastic tarps and blankets. And it was about this tall. And the guy said, hey, we wanna show you inside. So I mean, I've gotta crawl inside to get inside this place. And we knew we needed to do something about it. And so we built them uh, a temporary house that they could live in, just a one room, little, little place. And we thought that that was really making a difference in their lives, and I think it was. But we also realized on this piece of property, there was um, a toilet but it didn't go anywhere. So it just really filled up a hole. And the boys actually, being the herdman type boys that they were, enjoyed going to the bathroom throughout the village as opposed to in their own property. So we knew we need to provide some drainage. We hired some local guys to, to dig the ditch for us, some local guys to put some piping in. And while these local guys were doing the work, the dad was actually trying to sell the, the building material that we were using because his need was so much deeper. He he knew he needed drainage on his piece of property, but his need was so much greater than we could even imagine. And so we had great intentions, but I don't know that we hit the mark on that one. And then back in the day, here in in Leesburg, Virginia, when I was on staff, we did something called Servolution. And, And I was in charge of Servolution, and I loved it. We gathered all this food for weeks before Thanksgiving, and then we took the food and we we bagged it up so that we could give it to different families. And then, I I mean, this was brilliant on my part. I just want to tell you that, that we decided to take the trailer and put it between the police station and the fire station. I mean, how convenient. The folks we were trying to reach were, were right along Plaza Street. This was really who we were trying to reach out to. This would be great. And you would think that would be great, except that when you put a food giveaway next to a police station, and there are folks who may or may not be in the country legally, they're not going to go pick up food next to the police station. And so, all of a sudden, these great intentions that we had did not work. And so we eventually bagged up food, and teams went out, and and served people, and brought, brought the food directly to their homes. But we had great intentions, and and we didn't get the results that we were hoping to get. In fact, one more story. I'll share this with you. I've also been on the receiving end of this. About 15, 16 years ago, my wife had breast cancer. And she was a teacher at a uh, uh, Christian school in Ashburn. And I was uh, on staff with a ministry called Young Life. And uh, we were not rich by any means, um, but we were able to put food on the table. But because Maureen had breast cancer, our name got on a list. And so this Northern Virginia church had our name on the list, the Erickson family. The wife has got breast cancer. We want to serve these folks. And so this church did what any church would do. I mean, they gathered food together. Well, actually, the way they would do it is they would have their youth group go work um, for a, a couple of different weekends. They'd gather this money together. Whatever money they got, they went and bought food. They would use this money and this food to go then deliver it to people's houses. I mean, that's an amazing thing to do. What a great thing to do. Well, we are on the list, and so we get a call and said, hey, we've got Thanksgiving meal for you. Um, okay, thanks. And they bring it over, cover our dining room table with food, cover our kitchen counter with food, and, and, and our kids just loved it. For me and Maureen, we are like, thank you. Uh, felt a little bit awkward, but, you know, we were, we were thankful certainly for the gifts. But then they said, let's take a picture. And so... Maureen or one of the kids says, oh, our camera's broken. So the guy who was in charge said, well, hold on a second. He runs out to the car and gets a camera and comes back in. Well, in that little split second time that it took him to go to the car and then come back, my kids were going, what else can we tell them that's broken? Because they were just thinking this is an opportunity. But in the meantime, Maureen and I were going really, we'd love it if you, if, if you just left. It was a little embarrassing for us to, to be on the receiving end of this. And now all of a sudden, I realize what it's like. like there's this idea that, that they had the greatest of intentions. And, and it really did provide for us. But emotionally, it was really difficult to be on the receiving end. And I realize that that's often what we do in the lives of other people. That we have great intentions but then bad results. Because poverty is more than just needing shelter or drainage on your piece of land. It's more than needing a Thanksgiving meal or needing a camera that works. Poverty is deeper than that. And if you miss, I, I, I do not want you to miss this this morning because this is it. All poverty is rooted in brokenness. Write that one down. All poverty is rooted in brokenness. And that's what we've got to address this morning, but also with our friends who are trapped in in poverty and with our friends who are in need, that the root of all poverty is found in brokenness. You see, all of us are broken. And to, to one extent or another, we all know that. This is not a surprise. This is not new information for you this morning, but we are all broken people. In fact, I'll walk you through this. Our four primary relationships in our world are broken. The first is our relationship with God. Go to Genesis chapter 1 and 2 and 3, and and, and you find there's creation, and then there's the fall. And so we were created to be in a relationship with God. We were created to live in paradise. But now we live in a broken relationship with God. And that's got to be fixed. We, We miss out on what we're designed for. Not only is that relationship broken, but our relationship with ourselves is broken as well. That we have been created in God's image, but not many of us see that. Not many of us feel that deep down inside, that 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 is who I am. I reflect God Almighty. We have trouble seeing our own value. So not only is our relationship with God broken, our relationship with ourselves, but our relationship with other people as well. That that very often we become either one thing or another. Either we're too ashamed, so we're on one side, and we're too ashamed to ask for help. Or we're on the other side, and we're too self-absorbed to even recognize that there's a need. And so there's this brokenness that doesn't allow us to, to interact with one another in the way that we should. And then finally, our relationship with creation is broken. We can, you can see that We have all been bad stewards with what we've been given. They started out in this incredible garden that that Adam and Eve were told to tend, and now we're just trying to keep the place moving and and alive. But here's the great thing, is that Jesus declares himself the solution to that brokenness. The brokenness in those four relationships are healed, can all be healed with Jesus. There's a time in Luke chapter 4 when Jesus ascribes this, or he talks specifically about this. Luke chapter 4, verses 18 and 19, Jesus walks into the synagogue in Nazareth, and he reads from the prophet Isaiah. This is Isaiah chapter 61, and here's what he says. He says, the Spirit of the Lord is on me, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight to the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Jesus stands in front of all these people and reads this from Isaiah. Proclaim good news to the poor, proclaim freedom to the prisoners, recovery of sight to the blind, set the oppressed free. This is what Jesus is there for. So he reads this, then he rolls it back up, hands it to the attendant, and he sits down, And all of a sudden, all eyes are upon him because of what he just read. And this is what he says next. He says in verse 21 Today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. Because it's in Jesus that we find healing, it's in Jesus that we find salvation, it's Jesus that saves, it's Jesus that restores, it's Jesus that can repair these broken relationships that we've got. And that is essentially what he's saying. So if the, the root of poverty is found in brokenness, then the solution is found in the one who heals the brokenhearted. We sang about that just a few songs ago. In Psalm 147.3, it says that Jesus is the one who heals the brokenhearted. So if the root of poverty is found in brokenness, then the solution to be the one should be found in the one who says, I came that they might have life and have it abundantly. Not have a life where they're just squeaking by, not have a life where they're, where they're living in poverty and this, this brokenness, but rather a life that would be full. So when we drive on an exit ramp, should we still help the guy on the street? Of course we should. Or if you're in a small group and you find out that somebody in your small group has lost their job and maybe they've been without a job for six months or a year, should we help them? Of course we should. When there is a worldwide project going on where it's providing clean water to the majority of the world, should we be a part of that? Yes, the answer is yes for all of those things. But we've got to make sure that we're doing it and doing it well because we're called to that. We're called to this restoration because we know the one who restores. And because we're connected with Jesus, we need to do that. And so it's not just us as individuals, but the church is called to this as well. And so in your notes, I've got some, three ways that I, I feel like we can serve and serve well. Three ways that we can empower the poor. And I want to kind of wrap up our time by, by talking about these three things. The first one is that we are called to serve others, not to save others. We are called to serve others, not to save others. We are not the answer. We may have the checkbook, and we could write a check, but we are not the answer. Jesus is the answer. We can offer relief. We can even offer restoration, but it's Jesus who is the answer. And so as a church, that's what we should be doing. We should be entering in when there's an emergency situation and offering relief. You know, in Guatemala, with the church that we serve with, um, we've been had the opportunity to do that. About uh, exactly 105 days ago, a volcano that, lit, that is very close to us, about 11 miles away, erupted. <clears throat> and when it erupted, it didn't erupt like the uh, footage that you've seen in Hawaii where the lava is slowly moving. And it's causing destruction, don't get me wrong, in Hawaii it's causing destruction. But there haven't been any lives lost because it's moving slowly. What happened with this particular eruption in Volcán Fuego was that it came down like an avalanche without any warning. And so coming down the side of this volcano was lava and ash and, and boiling water and sand and dirt and debris. And it came down like an avalanche, about 75 miles an hour. And it wiped out two villages below. Over right around 400 people um, have died and thousands of people have been displaced. And so our church in Antigua, 11 miles away, we've got to respond and we have been able to respond with relief. In fact, the very next day, we were out um, beyond the roadblocks getting close to the first responders so that we could bring them food and water because of the work that they were doing, and we got to do that because our church has started a chaplain program for the national police, and so when they need things, they often call us, and that way we can be a part of that relief, and then we can be a part of of bringing people as they moved from they're being displaced they moved into these shelters and there needed to be food and water and diapers and clean clothes i mean they lost everything but the church can step in and offer relief but relief only goes so far because there's a point where you've got to begin to offer restoration as well and we've got a benefit of being able to do that as well because we're connected with the pastors around these two towns that lost everything. And so we can begin to offer restoration to these families through their churches. And so these churches have lost everything as well, but the pastor still wants to minister to his flock and he needs somebody behind him encouraging him. He needs somebody behind him resourcing him. And so we get an opportunity to do that through a Glace Del Camino and it's, and it's an exciting place to be and, and it'll be a long-term process for us in terms of restoration. In fact, if you sign up for a trip in, in August, you probably will be helping uh, in one way or another with some of the restoration um, because it's going to take that long to get folks back on their feet. So we can offer relief and we can offer restoration. You know, last week, Brody talked for a moment about the Good Samaritan. The Good Samaritan offered relief. The Good Samaritan offered restoration. When the Good Samaritan came along and found the man in the ditch, he'd been beaten and bloodied. He took care of his wounds, offered immediate relief. He picked him up and took him to an inn, offering offering him immediate relief. And then he said, hey, I've got some things I need to do, but I'm going to leave you a little bit of cash, and whatever it costs, to continue to restore this man, I will come back and I will pay. And that's the restoration that he offers as well. And we've got some partners in Guatemala that offer this same thing, that do this exact same thing. And if you've been down to Guatemala and you've been to Guatemala City with us, you know Rami and Shirley. And they live in this, um, just on the outside of this little town along some abandoned railroad tracks. And on either side of these railroad tracks are houses. Well, you would call them houses. We really probably would call them shacks. They found different materials, and they pieced together their homes. And Rami and Shirley work with these folks in this little town of Panito. And we get to work alongside them. But what Rami and Shirley do is they offer relief. They feed their kids two or three times a week. They, when, when there's a, a, a home that's got a leaky roof, they help to repair it. This is what relief is. But Rami and Shirley go a little bit deeper, and they are friends with the people that live in Panito. And they are pointing them towards Jesus, because they know that Jesus is the one who's going to restore. And so as we serve, we can offer relief and we can bring people to a point of restoration. Point number two, not only are we called to serve, but we are called to relate to people, not rescue people. You see, as we seek to empower the poor, we need to see them as people, not as projects. And honestly, for, for me, as a, as a guy who grew up in Northern Virginia, I'm all about projects. Projects are so much easier than people, because you can get them done, you can check it off, and then you can move on. But rather, we need to see them not as projects that we're doing, but as people that we're loving. And, and there have been plenty of times where we've gotten this right, but there's also been some times where we've gotten it wrong. Our ministry uh, worked with a family in Pana Hatchel, um, about two hours away from where we live. And There was a team there and the team went to go visit some homes and when they went to one particular home in front of the home There was a well and it basically was this deep hole with water down at the bottom and this particular was single mom Had two or three little kids and this family or this this team Saw that need and thought right away. We know what we need to do We need to put a top on that well We need to build what is essentially a small deck over top of this well, because that is what's going to protect this family. Because that team and us saw them as a project. We didn't see them as people. Well, here's what happened. The team went immediately to work. They got the lumber, they put it together, they built this, this small little deck that went over top of this well. You would think that that was just going to change lives. But the reality is that this poor woman was barely making the rent in this house. And in the next six months, she moved no less than four times. And each time she was hauling this well cover made of wood with her because it was hers and she wasn't going to leave it back. And so we missed it. If we had had a deeper conversation with her, we may have helped her find better housing. We may have helped her get a job. We may have helped her uh, start her own business. Whatever it was, it was bigger than simply doing a project. And so that's what we've got to do. You and I, We've got to see people as people, not people as projects. And we should have involved her in the conversation. There's, a, uh, there's another story that illustrates this well. It's about a, a team that showed up in a little village in Africa. And when they showed up, they were all about bringing clean water. That's a great thing. I mean, there, there's a water crisis in our world, and so people need to address that. And when they met with the leaders, they said, here's what we're going to do. We're going to bring these filters in, and here's how we're going to change your village. Well, the leaders said, hey, that's great, but what we really need is a basketball court. I'm sorry, what? We're offering clean water here. This is life-changing. You want a basketball court? And kind of went back and forth. They they split for a little while. They came back, and they, they continued this conversation until finally one of the elders said this. The village down the way has got a basketball court. And our young people are leaving our village and going to this basketball court and it's not that basketball is evil it's that around that particular basketball court there are drug dealers and so our young people are leaving our village going to go play basketball and and surrendering to addictions and so we are going to lose a whole generation of our village if we don't put a basketball court in our town. And that was what was the most important for them. And that's what they ended up doing, was building this basketball court to be able to save a generation in this particular village. And the idea is, it's not about a project. It's about people, and it's about listening to, to their needs and, and not simply treating them as a project. So we're called to serve, we're called to relate, and then thirdly, we're called to always reach out and to never reach down. See, when we see ourselves as broken, we'll no longer reach down. When we see ourselves as, as broken people, we don't think we're, we have something to offer or a gift or a solution. We don't see ourselves as better. We don't see ourselves as, uh, as the, uh, the fix for whatever they're going through because we know that we're broken as well. In fact, there's a great um, quote Uh, That I want to share with you is by a guy named DT Niles. It's also it's funny It's also attributed to C.S. Lewis in different places, but I couldn't find C.S. Lewis saying it anywhere So I'm just gonna say DT Niles said this Christianity is one beggar showing another beggar where to find food When you've got that posture you can reach out to people when when you realize that okay I'm a beggar, but I found out where the food pantry is So I'm gonna bring the other people along with me and it's very simply one beggar showing another beggar where to find food now in our ministry in Guatemala here's what we're striving to do we're striving to simply walk with our friends walk with our Guatemalan friends some are in need and some are not but we want to walk with them we want to rejoice when they rejoice Maureen and I have had the privilege of bringing babies home from the hospital to uh, different villages and it's funny because you would never do this at home. And, and uh, Ryan, you guys might consider this, but when they walk into a, um, uh, uh, their house, the uh, other little kids set off firecrackers as they walk in. <laughs> but that's just what you do. So I guess you get y- the kids used to that early on. But we get to rejoice when they rejoice. And just two days before we left for the States, we were at a um, funeral for a woman that we had met very early on in our time in Guatemala. And we were able to weep and grieve with the people that we were grieving with because that's what our ministry is about. And So as people are in need, people are living in poverty, and they're they're missing out on this wholeness, they need people who know Jesus to walk alongside them. They need people who know Jesus to celebrate with them and then to grieve with them. So this morning, my hope for you and my hope for me Really, my hope for us is that we would be people that would reach out. That we would generously give our time. That we would generously give our energies, our resources, our treasures, and that we would build relationships. That we would build relationships with people who who are, are stuck in their brokenness. And that we would give to this broken world knowing that our giving honors God. And that our giving it really is get like giving to jesus directly and that our giving can be restorative so that's what i want to pray this morning father god thank you so much that you have restored us god we pray that you would you would empower us empower us to do the right thing god empower us to see people as as your creation to see people as people God, to show us how to serve. God, to show us how to to wrestle with our own brokenness so that we can serve other people. God, guide us to the broken around us. Help us to be really as one beggar showing another beggar where to find food. And God, use us to change this world. And it's in the name of Jesus I pray that. Amen. I do want to say one other thing before I leave. And that is, there are going to be a few of you in the room this morning who are in that broken place. A few of you who just don't know how to, how to fix it or repair it. And I want to just encourage you to know this. Jesus is the one who restores and repairs our broken lives. And there are people probably in your row who would be more than willing to connect you with him or connect you with someone else who can kind of guide you towards this relationship with Jesus because that is what will make the difference in your life and the lives of the people around you. Thanks.
0: Wow, that was amazing. Uh, So good. Um, Kind of mind-bending. I... I made some notes here, and I, I um, when when you got to the call to reach out, not reach down. That, that we're not better. We're, we're just blessed. Um, I I don't think we can just walk out of the building and say, "Man, that was good." Uh, in fact, what I'd like you to do as just a closing thought here today is identify just just for a moment. Think through this. Who, who is hurting? Who, who is broken? Who is living in poverty? Who needs to be empowered? That you know. Um, it just so happens that today, I. It was easy for me to think of a person because uh, my wife and I have been talking about this person recently, and uh, and and so we have to respond. Otherwise. You know this is a joke and and so if you can't think of someone who you can serve and who you can relate to and who you can reach out to I know someone and you can just touch base with me but let's let's not leave here saying oh that was great let's leave here saying here's what I'm gonna do so would you just take a moment and and bow your head let's pray and uh, then we're going to receive our offering in a moment but let's let's start right now with what God has given us Heavenly Father we always want to connect with you as Christ followers we want to be close to you in this incredible passage of scripture and that was written by Matthew you showed us how we could do that that we could touch you, relate to you serve you by serving those who are poor those who are broken those who need to be empowered who need to be cared for who need to be related to who need to be humanized as your creation Father I pray that every one of us would leave today with more than a message but that we would be compelled to serve someone a person who has a name who has a heart who has a soul who has feelings emotions just like we do yet who are living in total brokenness We commit, Father, to minister to you by ministering to them. I pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Would you stand? We're going to uh, worship in our giving today. I want to thank you for your faithfulness. I do hope you leave with this charge that, that Todd's given us today. By the way, they have a table in the back that uh, you can learn more about what they do in Guatemala, and, and we are, as a church, um, huge supporters of this family uh, in our prayer and our love and giving, and, uh, but we encourage others to do the same in addition to our church. So please uh, jump in and, and ask them questions and, and uh, be supporters. Love you guys so much. I hope you have a wonderful week. Let's sing.